Hey guys, welcome back to Pradesi. Today's guest is music producer and violinist Raginder. Raginder is a California native and product of musicians. Because he grew up with two musicians for parents, it quickly became a major part of his daily life. Raginder has gained popularity through his covers, original music, and music production over the years. Today, he has contributed to and created countless songs, often incorporating sounds of hip hop and Indian classical music. So, let's get started. So, why don't you start by telling us like Explain what Raginder means, because I think that's like a big fat hint that you're going to be a musician. That's a weird definition, just because I feel like it doesn't do justice in English. As we know, Inder, not as we know, a lot of people don't know. Inder is a god in Hindu mythology, and Rag means melody. Rag is a uh, structure of Indian classical music, so... I would like when I when I translate my name I like to say God's grace on music or God's blessing on music something like that but literally it translates to music god which is kind of weird <laughs> um my parents kind of followed that theme cuz my sister's name is Ragini which means melody and then they try to find a name for me that kind of fit the meld And can you talk a little bit about like your family involvement with music my dad came from a musical family, so his father was a musician, and I believe my great-grandfather was also a musician. So my dad grew up in an environment. Um, he, he was born in a Gordora, so he was pretty much surrounded by it all through his life. He went with my grandfather to do Kirtan programs. And when it came to like college time, my dad was really interested in playing the sitar. And my grandfather's like, you know, you should learn it because that was like one of the only instruments that he didn't know. So he's like, try doing something that, you know, none of us have ever done. So my dad pursued sitar, um, and today he teaches vocal, he teaches kirtan, and he teaches Indian classical music to many, many people in the Bay Area. So did that kind of like push you to study music? Definitely, and I feel like the push definitely came from my mom. Just because um, she was the first one in her family to pursue music, she didn't come from a musical background or anything, and um, my dad was always like very free with it. He kind of had like an artsy type of vibe to him, where he was like, "Let it come to you guys." But my mom was like the one that pushed me and my sister to really understand what this is, and she sat us down and taught us the basics from start from there, and then go on and on. And then when I started learning violin, she would just make sure that I would sit down and practice every day. Because at that time I was 11, I wanted to go out play basketball with my friends, but she's like, "Nah, you got to practice before you do that." So that was very important in the beginning. When you say she taught you the basics, what do you mean by that? Like instruments or like just music in general? I would say music in general and mostly just singing. Um, I started off my first thing ever that I started off with that had to do with music was singing. And um, pretty much 
all my life until I started playing violin. I was singing, and she herself she was a she took her she got her masters in vocal, in Indian classical vocal. So we started from like Sarigama Badhanisa to learning songs, to learning Indian classical compositions, to learning uh, Gurbani Kirtan. So like pretty much everything, and then my dad would kind of bring Indian classical whenever he, you know, whenever he did. Mm-hmm. So how did you pick the violin? It was a collaborative decision between me and my parents. It's funny, a lot of people, you know, they're like, "Oh, you have such cool parents." They're like, they're musicians. They're like not doctors or engineers or any of the regular, the regular things that you usually see Indian people being, right? But at the core, they're still Indian parents. And so when I first wanted to play an instrument, I was like, "Hey guys, I want to play trumpet." And they were like, trumpet? Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> um, but they were like, why don't you try it and play the violin? See what happens. See how it goes. And I was like, all right, I'll try it out. So that's kind of how the decision came about. Still wanted to play the trumpet, but I tried it out. And it was kind of seamless when I first tried it. And I was like, might as well just stick with it. Because I picked it up much quicker than I would have, I feel like, with the trumpet. What? Why did you want to play the trumpet? It was, I was at a point in my life where, like, I just moved to the United States. So it was, like, a year after. I was in fifth grade. And um, I was pretty much um, still trying to fit in. And, like, I was being, I was, I was being bullied by a lot of people. And most of them were boys. So usually all the boys want to play the loud instruments, the stuff that made a lot of noise. And so I was like, let me fit in. I wanted to play the trumpet. So in hindsight, I'm kind of glad I didn't because I was just doing it to fit in. But I still love the trumpet. I think it's a great instrument. I think that's really funny because I wouldn't guess that, like, you play the trumpet to fit in. It doesn't, like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so you started off singing. I know you did a little bit of singing in your in Escape. Yeah. Are you working on more singing or like is that not really like your thing? I am. Singing is still a very big part of who I am. Um, singing is how I come up with my compositions actually on the violin as well. So it's a very integral part of who I am as a musician. It's just I feel more confident about my skills on the violin just because I put a lot of time into it. Um, but I'm not too... I'm not really too uh, eager to push myself as a singer, but I do have tracks where I am singing on there. So I just do it when I feel like it's necessary, not to like rebrand myself as a singer and throw it out there, but Mm -hmm. just to kind of follow that creative. If I have a creative idea and I feel like it needs to have some singing in there, then I'll go ahead and do it. So I do have some tracks with singing that are yet to come, but it's not something that is my focal point. I've heard in a previous interview you said that like your violin is kind of like a voice in your songs or you like make it sing, I guess. Yeah. Which sounds weird, but I get it because when I hear your songs, you don't need lyrics or like singing in them necessarily. Mm -hmm. The violin really does play that role. Yeah. And that's really cool. It's cool that you're able to make this instrumental song sound like a really catchy and I don't know. Can you talk about like that process a little bit? Like how you do that? I think a lot of it's because 
I've been kind of like when I used to practice as a teenager and even preteens, like I was locked in my room for like three, four hours per day just playing this instrument when a lot of kids, you know, they're outside, they're hanging out, they're going to the mall, they're just playing, you know, just have, making friends. And I felt like this was kind of my way to get what was in my head out, but it was kind of on an instrument rather than actually speaking it. So I feel like I was able to kind of build a relationship with this instrument where I could let my thoughts out on the instrument in a very lyrical way, but it's still it's still just music. And even now when, when I'm feeling something, when I play it on the instrument, it's very therapeutic to me because I just feel like I'm letting out my thoughts, letting out my voice through the instrument. And it sounds beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah, it's not it's not like it's not like it's like, you know, just someone's voice. Because a lot of people, they don't like hearing their voice when, you know, you play it back to them on recording. Mm. I used to be like that. But with the violin, at least I'm like, all right, I, I can I can roll with this. Yeah, I know. I think it's really cool because I, but like before having listened to your music, I probably would not have thought of myself as someone who could listen to a full instrumental song, mm -hmm. like being honest. But I listen to your music all the time. So it's really cool that, yeah, like, like you said, it plays the role of that voice mm -hmm. so on that trend so you kind of made this instrument that's very traditional very relevant I think um at least in my head and a lot of people like my of my generation I think so mm -hmm. can you talk a little bit about how you did that I feel like when I first started learning this instrument it was in a very traditional format I learned like classical music along with learning violin through the Indian classical tradition and before that my musical background has always been like learning the foundation through classical but also my parents were very open into like you know keeping your ears out for something new so I would m the palette that I listened to like growing up was very wide like I, I used to listen to like Bollywood Nusrat Michael Jackson um, Latin jazz a lot, lot of different types of music and so I felt like when I was playing violin, it was kind of, it, that kind of carried on with me. And I didn't want to just play the traditional stuff. Um, and also my friends couldn't really relate to what I was playing because they're like, you sound good, but we don't really listen to this type of music. So initially I just made, like, I got a beat from this uh, website. Um, it was like a famous song in the Bay Area at the time. And... I put some violins over it and send it amongst my friends and they loved it. And I was like, maybe I should do more of this. Didn't do it for like two years until I got, until I graduated college, I mean, graduated high school. And then I started doing it more because my friends started asking for more of it. And um, then for some reason, when I shared it amongst my friends, it ended up becoming like circulated. And that's how I kind of got my start because it was just something I made for my friends and it kind of started circulating around and people wanted to hear more of it. And it's something I felt like was just natural to me just because I grew up in an environment where I listened to a lot of hip-hop music, a lot of R&B, and outside of, you know, the music that I practiced, that was like the music I really knew inside out. And I just felt like it was seamless to kind of put those two together. And that's what kind of, that's what I kind of do now as well. Hmm. Yeah, I remember, I don't know when 
what year this was, but I remember when the Lean On cover came out. Yeah. And like it was everywhere. Like I remember sitting with my family, like my whole family at home, and we were like watching it on TV, like over and over again, because we're like, <laughs> yeah. oh my god, this is so cool. So talk a little bit about those initial like songs and covers and collaborations and how they led into your original music. Mm. So I started making original music back in like 2013-2014 and this was after I put out covers for like 2-3 years straight and because you know I come from this like big like musical background as well as just like studying in an art form that's all about your individual expression I was very drawn to making original music and I felt like that was my true calling and so around 2013 I started learning how to make beats I had made it before that but I really like honed in and started to like work on it every day along with that like there were some other opportunities that came along the way which also had to do with covers like so lean on was one of them that actually came about because um the the pianist on there uh Rashi she she and I like go way back. One of my first covers was actually with her, and she was she actually at that time was touring with Vidya, and I think Vidya was just starting to like do the YouTube thing at that time too. So it just came. It was a very organic thing. We all knew each other's music. We all were fans of each other's music, and we're like, let's try this out, and very organic. We recorded it, and w- I was not expecting it to like be as big as it became, but. It's just about like being in that moment and just enjoying it. And now I think it's a, like 39 million views or something like Whoa, that. Yeah. Still like probably the biggest track I've done to date. And um, it did definitely inspire me to, you know, think of things differently, approach music differently um, at a time where I was, you know, just I had my head down and just making I was just making original music, this kind of thing. Uh, this cover thing that I was trying to get away from was something that just taught me to enjoy the process, you know, whatever's organic, go towards that. So I've kind of been taking that into my music now. And whatever I've been dropping recently is just things that I felt the like a feeling at the moment and just kind of went through it. And that's how most of my songs have been made re- like that recently. So how do you come up with a beat for your songs. You're also a music producer mm-hmm. and you make your own beats. How do you think of a beat? There's many different ways to go about it. The thing I most commonly do is either like I'll play like a violin melody and then I'll loop it and add things on top of it or I'll try to find a sample or I'll just play something, um, a melody that I feel like is catchy. Um, a lot of people like to build from drums, but I like to go the other way because violin is like so melodious and I just feel like I've been used to that. Um, so usually I start with the melody, then I build around it. And then depending on what kind of track it is, if it's like more of a hip hop track, I'll send it to a couple of rappers or sometimes I'll even put violin on that. So once I'm done with the beat, I just try to gauge what sounds good on it. And if it's something that I feel like I can fit on, I'll just make a violin track out of it and release it. And do you like plan like how your violin track's gonna sound or do you just try it and see? It's like a mix of both. Like I try to 
sometimes I'll go in with like a feeling where I'm like, I want to go for this feel. So I'll try to play, play phrases that have this type of feel. And sometimes I just go in and like whatever comes in my head and whatever sounds good, I'll just like, like keep that, re-record it and then like build off of that and go like bar by bar. Wow. That's so cool. I am like instrumentally inept. So this is like also cool to me. Just out of curiosity, what all are the instruments that you can play? So what I can really play, I would say, is just the violin. But I've dabbled into many instruments throughout my life. One is the vocal instrument. You know, that's like, I feel like that's the instrument that everyone has. Tabla. I feel like every Punjabi kid has either done harmonium or tabla. Mm -hmm. I've done both. (laughs) (laughs) Dilraba I've dabbled into. Sitar I've dabbled into a little bit. And I've actually like learned rabab, which is like an Afghani instrument that's made itself into Sikh Sikh history through Pai Mardana and everything. As well as just playing the keys. I'm not like the greatest keys player, but I can like play chords and find my way through. Yeah, I think that's about it. Oh, I'm actually learning this instrument right now. It's uh, it's called uh, lunga, and it's like a northern African drum from Ghana. And it's kind of like a, you know, like tardijatas. They have like the little tard. Mm-hmm. It makes like the doo doo doo. Yeah. Like it's imagine that, but like it's like this big. Oh wow. And then you hit it with a stick, and then you kind of make like the pitch change with your like arm, and like you pull on the string. Wow. So, completely left field, but I feel like it's challenging and something new. Do you ever play any of these other instruments to incorporate into your songs? Definitely, definitely. You sometimes like you you don't even know it's there. Like there's some tracks I've done where I have another instrument that I've played, but it's just kind of layered into there. But I think going forward, I might just make it a little more obvious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's really cool. Let's go back a little bit to, you said you moved to America when you were eight. Uh-huh. Talk about that transition from Thailand, right? Mm-hmm. And um, how music kind of helped you find your way here. It was a big transition just because going from, you know, Asia to North America, that's just a big culture culture shock. As far as speaking English, I never had a problem with that just because I was going to international schools out there. So communication was never a problem when I moved here, but it was just getting used to the culture, getting used to, you know, speaking the right way because I had an accent at that time and I spoke, uh, the school, the international school I went to was like a British international school. So you know, um, I used to say thou- thousand and they'd be like, the kids over here be like, no, it's thousand. I'm like, I can't tell the <laughs> difference, right? I'm like, what are you even saying? I'm saying the same thing <laughs> or again and again. Okay. So like, it was like, first it was like those kind of things. But then like 9-11 happened and then like it just turned much darker. Um, but, you know, I was surrounded by a great support system. Um, I ended up moving districts. I mean, I was in the same district. I'm going to move in schools um, because we were still getting you know acclimated to the country and we found this place to stay at that was at a different school and over there there was a lot more Punjabi kids so I kind of was able to integrate and not feel like the only kid at school because the first school I went to I was one of two Punjabi kids and that's it um but I always find myself like I always found myself easy to like hang out with and so I was able to make friends very quickly uh, regardless of all the stuff that was going on and um and I f- the best way i found that was through music it was funny because i remember 
being, uh, you know, I, Fateh, the rapper, he introduced me to hip hop music when I moved here. And um, we basically, like, when he introduced me, I kind of fell in love with it immediately. And I pretty much went crazy, like, to a point where whenever I come back from school, I'd, like, go on, like, like those illegal MP3 download things, like uh, LimeWire, all these different websites. Yeah. There's, like, 7,000 of them back then. And I would just download every single hip hop song that was new at that time. So I knew everything. And like, I would burn CDs. I would sell them to people at school. <laughs> like, and I remember one time I was just sitting amongst a couple of my friends. They were, no, a couple of my classmates who became my friends later on. But they were just talking and they were talking about hip hop music. And I was just sitting there quietly because I didn't really know who they were at that time. And they were having like, I forgot what happened. They were talking about some song. They couldn't think of like the. They couldn't think of the artist. And I was like, oh, it's this. And I'm like, this is from this album. And they were like, what? You listen to hip hop? Like, we wouldn't even be able to, like, we wouldn't even guessed. You're like, you know, you wear a turban. You look like very, like, conservative, very, like, like Indian. Like, mm -hmm. I'm like, no, like, I listen, probably listen to more than you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so that, you know, that was kind of a way I was able to make friends. And, um, and then kind of from that point onwards, once I got that, I was able to like just adapt to the culture and I didn't only have to use the music to connect with people. And um, then I started playing music and that was like a whole nother thing where I was able to meet new friends from music and the friends that played music as well. So that was like later down the road. Mm -hmm. And like this influence of hip hop, like you talk about it a lot and you can it's like pretty obvious in your songs. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like what makes them really cool is because they're this mix of cultures almost. Mm -hmm. And so why is it important for you to incorporate any of the Indian classical stuff? And why is it important for you to incorporate the hip hop stuff? I feel like that's like my identity at the end of the day. I feel like anything else, I'd be trying to force something that I'm not, that I don't make. So I feel like those two styles encapsulate who I am, where, what my story is, where I come from, what my sound is. And I'm always, not to say that, not to say that those two things are the only thing I do, but I'm really open to trying new genres and I have, um, but I feel like those two best represent who I am. And uh, I think I like saw this somewhere, but you incorporate a lot of rug in your songs, right? I do, okay. but it depends <laughs> on the track. There's been tracks where I just really incorporate it, and there's some tracks where I just kind of lightly incorporate it. What's lightly incorporating it? Where I, like, take the notes, but I don't follow the rag 100%, mm -hmm. but, like, I'll take the exact same notes from a rag. Do you always take notes from a rag? Or no. Not really, no. Sometimes it's just, like, feeling it out. Mm -hmm. So, But then there's, like, tracks like Inferno where it comes from a rag, and, like, it just it feels like you're in like a very Indian classical trap record kind of thing. Mm -hmm. just, it, it's like encapsulates that whole feel. Yeah. Okay, cool. And also I wanted to ask before I forget, your music videos are really cool. They're all very <laughs> like unique and very uh, memorable because they're like, at least I haven't seen, like you don't really have any like dumb music videos. You know, like some like musicians will just like make whatever and like yeah. put it out there. They all seem to have a lot of meaning. What's your role in your music video storytelling? Music videos is something I feel like 
just in the current climate that we live in, music is very important just because now it's not just about the audio, it's about the visuals as well. But that's not what kind of motivates me. It's also just, you know, being a fan of hip hop and seeing all those crazy music videos from the early 2000s really inspired me, like like the Busta Rhymes, the Ludacris, the Kanye videos. And I really found like visual arts to really give sound another uh, layer of understanding. So what I, f uh, what I try to do with my music is I try to, I try to capture a feeling and the music video is basically the visual element of that feeling. So depending on who I work with, um, I like to give my directors like a lot of creative freedom. Like I'll just tell them a couple of things that I was thinking while I'm making the song, but I kind of let them have their own perspective just so it's like organic art making and everyone feels included. But it's just kind of going off the feeling that the song gives. And then we try to look at themes that we want to show in the video and build off of that so i mean it it just comes off of, it just comes off that way it comes off uh we just want to make art that is just deeper than just stupid stupid shit if i can yeah. say that <laughs> yeah um but not to say that that stuff is bad but like we i feel like i just try to make art that's deeper and like just things that will last a life lifetime. Mm -hmm. And a lot of your videos incorporate other artists. I mm -hmm. think like dancers and like other musicians and like even the producers you work with and stuff. Why is it important for you to include those kinds of people? Like, I guess, foster that like artistry. I think it's very important just because um, just one I feel like having a community of artists to work with uh, not only helps everyone, but it helps you grow your own art. It helps you grow as an artist overall. Seeing how people, seeing dif people's different processes when you work, definitely improves your own process. So, I just try to surround myself with many artists, just because it's just it's good to just have that. Because in everyday world, artists are not surrounded by artists. Um, most people don't do art most people just work regular jobs so when you if you have the opportunity to you know work with artists spend time with artists like that's the best thing one can do and that's what I try to do for myself mm -hmm. yeah and like even within this community of brown artists like we were talking about earlier they all know like not they all but like a lot of like rising brown artists like you mm -hmm. know each other and work with each other and kind of bring each other up mm -hmm. How is what is that like collaborating with other people who are also like who also have this like vision of becoming big professional artists? It's beautiful to see just because I remember when I was a kid, we didn't really have anyone to look up to that was brown. So I feel like everyone that's coming out right now are like the first generation of that or like are the beginning of that second generation. And it's it's cool because because we didn't have anyone, you know, that support system needs to exist because if we don't support each other, then who's going to support us at the end of the day? So, you know, and as the torchbearers of like this new generation, we want to make sure that it stays. So I, it like that this brown art goes for countless generations. And 
I think the best way to do that is to support each other, is to, you know, work with each other and share each other's work to, with others as well. Yeah, and it's so cool. Like, like you were saying, now we have a lot more representation in the arts, I guess, because, like, even for me, like, it's so cool. Every day I see Instagram is, like, full of brown artists and, like, I get to listen to music by brown artists that sound like me and are not necessarily from India or um, are on TV. And so that's kind of like why I've created this podcast, I guess. I wanted to talk to a bunch of different brown creatives that I like, like listen to their art, see their art um, and hear their experiences and share that with other people who don't understand what it's like to be brown and be an artist. It's not easy. And so can you talk a little bit about like, I mean, you do, you did come from a musical family, but Mm -hmm. did you ever feel like ostracized? I don't know if that's a strong word, but like for pursuing something that wasn't traditional in like the doctor, engineer, lawyer sense? Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. Like not from my own family, which is like a blessing because my family's always been supportive. And I think my family low key wanted me to pursue music. They were always like, you know, if you do anything else, we'll support you. But then when I told my parents, all right, I think I'm going to do this, they were very happy with it. But that's just the good side. There's a lot of the other side where I remember when I was a junior in high school and um, this, it was like, it was at the Gurdwara and this man was just, he like an elderly man saw two kids, decided he wanted to have a conversation with them. He asked my friend with me, he's like, what do you want to pursue? And he said he wanted to be a doctor. And he was like, good, you know, that's great. That's something that will, you know, give you a lot of security going on forward. And he asks me, like, I want to be a musician. And he just like nodded his head in disapproval. And he was just like, you're, you shouldn't even think about those things. He's like, you're not going to get anywhere just by doing that. And like, I couldn't take that at that moment. I was like, my parents are musicians. And I think I've been, you know, I've had a good life up to this point and I'm not struggling. And uh, like he didn't, he just still kept on saying no. But I wish I could meet that man today. Yeah. Be nice. (laughs) Um, But other than that, you know, all throughout, like I've even had some of like my friends tell me that not even just some random people, my own friends being like, you know, what you do is cool. But, you know, like, are you do you think you'll do this like going forward? Or I've had people like that have asked like asked to book me and like when I told them my price, they're like, bro, you're good, but you're not that good. Oh. Like that's <laughs> happened before. So I, I think it happens with every artist. There's that struggle, you know, and even when you're talking to adults, the biggest thing is they ask you is how, how do you make your money? But these, especially in the arts or any sort of field where it's about your passion, it's not about the money at the end of the day. Because you can do whatever, you, you can do any field just to make money, but will it make you happy at the end of the day? And most times, like, if if the person doesn't really enjoy it, it doesn't make you happy. But with art, artists, what I've seen is, for most part, even if people are struggling, they're still happy with what they do. Yeah. I mean, of course, there's, like, the other side of it, but generally, when they're making art, they're at a good place. You feel like you have purpose. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So when did you know, like, when did you say, when I grow up, I want to be a musician? Probably second year of college. Before, I just had, like, dreams, just, like, of 
oh, I want to make mu- this kind of music. I want to be here. But those are, like, fine. I think when you're a teenager, you always have dreams. But realistically, I would say, like, second year of college. And that's because my first year of college is when I actually started releasing music. And prior to that, I didn't know how I was going to really do this music thing. But all it was was I started sharing music with my friends and more than my friends, like, out, people outside of that started listening to it, to it too. So... At that moment, even if it was like it was such a like a early p- spot in my career that I could have still been like, no, nah, like I I still need to pursue something that's more secure. But I don't know. I felt like that spark that sparked something in me, and even if it was entry level at that time, like it really inspired me to just go on with it full out. So second year of college, I went from undecided to just music major from there. Did you have a backup plan ever? Nah. Cool. That's good. Um, No, and we're, like, so glad you did pursue music because, like, again, like, you're very talented and you've been putting out a lot of music. Um, Like, I don't know. Like, I was, like, looking through your Instagram and just, like, I feel like you have so many new songs coming out all the time, which is so, like, so cool. And they're, like, quality songs, too. So it's, it's really cool to see that like someone can do this and be successful and create good work yeah so was the shift from covers to original music or like was putting out your own original music kind of scary definitely why it's like putting your your soul out there because with covers you're basically taking something that someone else has made and it's basically you're adding your own spin to it. But at the end of the day, it's still someone else's product, you know? With original music, it's like everything is yours. Or you have collaborators, but still, both of those, it's still going to be yours and the other person's, you know? And in the beginning, I definitely was very self-conscious about it, where I was like, I want to have the best representation of myself out there. So in the beginning, you definitely start overthinking things where you're like, I want to make music that sounds like this or it doesn't sound like how I want it to sound, so I'm not going to release it. But I think the more you just do it and the more like I started like working on it, I started getting a flow of what I wanted, what I would want my music to sound like. And it just kind of went from there. And now it's at a point where even if I'm open to trying new things, I'm open to that. But I kind of know where I want to go. And I feel like now I'm not scared of what the world is going to say. I think that's the biggest hump to get over about what the world is going to say and how are you going to, you know. It's always before you release things. Because before you release something, you're always like, oh, I don't know how people are going to take it. People are going to take it. But then you release it and then you're like, all right, I've got to work on the next thing now. And then you kind of forget about all those fears you had before you released it. Mm-hmm. Do you have an album coming out soon or things work- in the works? I'm working on one. I'm not, I haven't put a date on it yet. Mm-hmm. I'm just kind of letting the creative energy flow. But it'll, it'll be ready. It'll be ready when the time's right. What's a day in the life of Raginder like? A day in the life of Raginder. Um, so I record like pretty much most of my day. I try to go to the gym. Uh <laughs> 
And then I also teach. So I have some students that I teach over Skype. Cool. Um, and you teach them violin? I teach them violin. Okay. I teach them Indian classical just because I still want to keep my roots strong. And I feel like teaching is a b great way to learn that because you kind of have to go back to the fundamentals. And it's always great revisiting those. Mm. It just strengthens your playing. Other than that, if a Warriors, Warriors game's on, I'll watch that and then work on music again. That's about it. A Warriors fan. Yep. Not before, like, not like 2013 <laughs> onwards. Like, i am been a fan since, like, when I was a kid because I'm from the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. Not a Kings fan, though. Nah. What about Lakers? I did like the Kings, like, from 2001 to 2004. That was a really good squad. Lakers, no. I can't be a Lakers fan, ever. Oh, no. That's... <laughs> I'm a big Lakers fan, so... Well, you're from L.A., so it makes sense, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> now you live in L.A., so you have to learn to mm, like them. No. <laughs> no I am having, like, a crisis because I um, don't like LeBron James, and, like, I'm trying to learn to like him, and... Come on. Like, it's really hard for he's, me. He's, like, one of the greatest players of all time. Yeah, you got to, like, just accept him. It's hard when you, like, had someone like Kobe on your, like, you grew up watching Kobe, and then you just see this guy walk in, and you're like, uh, no. I get it, but they're, like, both equally as great. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that's really cool, though. So I feel like that's a thing with a lot of brown kids. Like, I feel like basketball is, like, a big um, commonality, I guess. Like, basketball and hip hop. Yeah. <laughs> so did you play basketball? You said you played basketball or? Just for fun. Just for fun. Okay. I tried out in high school. I didn't make it. I have my thoughts on that. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, I played almost every day. Like violin, basketball, and video games were like my big three things. Mm -hmm. up. Yeah. Yeah. I played basketball too, but then I quit in high school in the interest of AP classes. And like journalism. A good Indian kid. Yeah, you know, my sister played all throughout high school, and then she was like, you know, you should really quit. And I was like, why? She's like, uh, because you're not going to become like a player in the WNBA, and so like might as well just like. And then I like joined newspaper and stuff, and I was like, okay, I, I wanted to do that, and I knew I wanted to be a journalist. So well, you're here now. That's true. Mm -hmm. So it worked out, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so can you talk a little bit about? Your, you said your parents were still Indian at the end of the day. Yeah. And growing up with that pressure to be, I feel like that's a common like Asian thing to yeah. be really good at like some like sort of extracurricular. What was that like? It was intense. Like they wanted to make sure I was really good at the violin. Like it wasn't like, oh, you're just learning it. They wanted to make sure I excel at it. And that's not just because they're Indian parents. It's also because I feel like they saw something in me being that they were musicians themselves. But the way they carried it out was very dissy and very Asian in general. So, I mean, you know, I would I would get yelled at if I didn't practice early on. But then, like, once I really got in the flow of things, then I started doing it myself. But those early years were, like, you really got to focus. And even sometimes now, like, if I'm traveling a lot or if I'm touring and, like, you know, I'm focusing more on recording and, like, rehearsing my dad will sometimes he'll be like you need to start practicing more like and i still practice but it's just like even now yeah he'll be like you need to <laughs> you need to focus more on practicing practicing never stops that's like that's like always important like because you know you have all these things like you have like there's like 
touring, there's recording, there's like rehearsing. But those things, as great as they are, as like still working on your craft, like just practicing is uh, goes above beyond over everything else. So, yeah, he'll still find a way to tell me here and there. But he he's like he's been the nice guy always. So when he says it, it's it doesn't ever feel bad. My mom was like the mean one. <laughs> okay, cool. For me, I was like, I've I mean, I play the harmonium, but like, probably like really poorly. Um, and I've experienced that in the summer working in, on like math workbooks or something, but like not to that intensity of an instrument, which is like like you said, a craft, and you have to really practice to like become great, which is. Yeah, so that's cool. But you talked about your dad being the nice one or, like, whatever, like, leading you kind of in this direction. Can you talk a little bit more about his influence on your musical journey and, like, he was in one of your songs in Escape. Can you just talk, like, about your dad as an influence? I think he's a huge influence. I feel like a lot of who I am today is kind of a mirror of him, like, I carry myself like how he carries himself amongst people. So highly influential. As um, I just remember growing up and he was always working on his craft. And even still till today, like when I go visit back home, he'll be like in the music room just practicing a sitar for like two, three hours. At the, And he's like, he's like 58 now. So he's just, he's still doing it. And so it's always, it was always inspiring to see that just growing up and we me and him have always used to have like very like helpful talks for me at least when like he would pick me up from my violin lessons and um he would always tell me you know you're doing better every day so it would always like motivate me and but he's like you know listen to this recording listen to this recording try to emulate these styles and these will help you move forward so it was always very uh he was always very encouraging but at the same time he told me what i needed to work on and how i was going to get to the next level so and he still does that till this day and it's always very helpful mm-hmm. that's really cool it's cool to have that like support of your parent in like this kind of unusual territory i guess yeah and now it's great because now i feel like we're peers because before it was like parent and like son mm-hmm. and like you need to do this but now we just talk about music and like just the concepts of music amongst each other and it's like like I'm talking to a friend and it's great. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> so I want to ask about a couple of your songs and like the background behind them. One, because I'm just curious because it's my favorite one of your songs, which is Doors. Mm-hmm. What was like the inspiration behind that? Or like, what's the story behind that song? So Doors was this beat I made randomly. And I found this like guitar sample. I was like, let me just make something. And I honestly don't even remember making it just because... It was something I made and I kind of forgot about it. And I sent it to um, my cousin, Sortal, who's my real cousin. Um, and he he was like, dude, I really like this beat. I'm like, try to figure something out for it. So him and uh, one of my other friends from the Bay Area, Sid, they kind of sat down together. And then they came up with the chorus, the one that's sung. And um, I was like, dude, I really like this. <laughs> So kind of like it went it went through like several phases of collaboration before it got back to me. And then and then so I was like, let me just record the violins on there. And then we recorded the vocals. And then 
the track was done and for some reason like this track that i didn't think too much of in the beginning ended up becoming like my biggest track till date really it's, it's just, yeah oh. it's crazy like it has the most streams like for me on all social media i mean not social media, on uh, all streaming services so it's crazy i wouldn't have thought that when i first made that song and but when it was done i knew it was a special song after it was done it is a really cool song i like I don't know. That's what I think. I think really got me into your music is that song because it just has like such a cool like intro. Like it just pulls you in mm -hmm. immediately. So I think that's a really cool one. And then Inferno was hugely successful. Can you talk about that one's a little bit different? It's a little more intense. Yeah. Can you talk about that one? So that one was interesting just because I do remember making that beat and I made it. It was very dark. I really loved the beat. I was like, I was like, this is something that really slaps. Um, and I sent it out to, this is like one of those instances where I sent it out to a couple rappers, but none of them were just, they, they couldn't see anything that fit on it. And for me, when I was making it, I was like, oh, this is kind of sounds Indian classical because it has like, um, it has this one note that sounds dissonant. And I was after like a lot of people just said no to it and i was like you know what let me just try something on it mm -hmm. and and because of that one note in there i was like let me go at it like towards an indian classical angle and then when i ended up making it i was like i have to release this <laughs> and it's kind of sometimes it's just like that that moment made me realize where you know i have everything that i need within me and i don't have to like worry about anyone else and if it's something that i feel like i can just do myself then I just do it myself. And that's like kind of true of a lot of your work because there's a lot of like vertical integration, I guess. Like you do everything yourself a lot of the time, which is so unusual. Mm -hmm. um, is that ever like stressful or difficult or would you rather like have that control over your song? I would say 90% of me loves the control. It's just prior to that, I remember trying to go to different angles, you know, different people. And like before I would want someone else to mix my song. And there's just too much back and forth with everyone else because everyone's doing their own thing. So it's uh, it's kind of hard. And at the end of the day, you kind of know how you want your music to sound. So I was able to just work on my engineering skills, my mixing, mastering skills to the point where I know how I want my music to sound. And even now, I feel like I'm still learning. There's still ways I can get better, but I'm at a point where I feel comfortable with it. And it's made me much more self-sufficient, much more, it's made me, especially this year, it's made me, it's given me the ability to release songs much quicker um, because before that, the process was much slower. The other 10% of me that doesn't like it is just because I wanna be able to still collaborate with people and I still do, but just that extra stuff that I don't know I will, I will, that's the only part of that uh, me that doesn't like it just because but it kind of goes hand in hand just because I know I'll learn that stuff eventually but I wish I had someone that could just like streamline the whole process mm -hmm. did you learn like mixing and mastering and like the like music production side of stuff in school I started at school initially and then the rest of it's just self-taught I feel like the whole process of like learning hearing frequencies is all when you do these things that's how you get better at it um it's n no i think no amount of school can help you it's just you have to work on the craft to get better at it mm -hmm. and then you just 
I think it was Fate's most recent album, right? Mm-hmm. That you produced the whole album? Executive produce, not produce. Okay, not executive. But I've produced some tracks on it. Like which ones? Um, I did Time. Um, I co-produced Sardari, co-produced Minukia, Ayata Nulan. I know I'm missing one. Roku. And then the rest, like, Fate and I have a process where he'll make a song. And once the song's done, I'll basically go through the whole beat. I'll fix some things in the beat. I'll add some things in the beat. Say if it's someone else's beat, like, or if it's my beat, I'll, I'll just do it myself. But if it's someone else's beat, we'll go through everything. We'll fix it. We'll get it sounding like how he wants it to sound. Because me and him have grown up, we have, like, similar tastes, similar kind of idea of what we want. And then we send it out to, like, um, Jay Static, who's a brilliant mixing engineer. And then he does, like, the final touch. So that's kind of how our process works. So that middle process is, like, where I kind of work my magic. Okay, cool. So, like, how was that? What was that process like? Working? That's a lot of songs you worked on. Mm-hmm. It's, like, a huge undertaking. Mm-hmm. So what was that process like? This is the third time it's actually happened. I've done it all three albums. Okay. So, I mean, this time it's probably easier than mm-hmm. the last couple times just because we're kind of used to the process now. But each track it's different. Some track I don't have that much, I don't need to have that much input. Um, and some tracks I really like go into it and make sure, you know, it sounds a certain way. And uh, some tracks he'll just show me, I'm like, I like it. Mm-hmm. I think it's fine the way it is. So, but basically, like, we kind of have a system where we just bounce things off of each other. And if I find, like, I can add something into it, then I do. And um, that's how we kind of go off of each other. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. It's cool that you work so closely with Fate. I was talking to Simmer about this because she also works with Fate or, like, has recently started working with him a lot and, like, what that process was like. And, I feel like Fate's kind of almost this like center point for a lot of people. Like a lot of artists I've talked to are like will refer to Fate and like his work and like how he's helped them and like what has that and you grew up with Fate. So mm-hmm. what has it been like growing up with like a good friend and both pursuing like this art and then also like on the professional side of like using each other's work? Mm-hmm. I think it's always been like good for me to have him around just because even as kids you know he's the first person to introduce me to hip-hop it goes like that far back and then he started learning um, music from my parents and we grew up in an environment that was you know at that time I didn't even realize it but it was such an artsy environment art my dad and his dad are like best friends both his parents are poets Punjabi poets my parents are musicians so we're just around a lot of this creative energy and, you know, at that time, we don't realize it, but it kind of seeped into both of us. So I started playing the violin the same time he started rapping. And he started getting uh, attention for his rapping way earlier than I did because I was uh, much younger. And um, it was good to see that because, you know, I kind of had someone that ha- is going through that and, you know, told me what I need to do and how I need to go about things, as well as just having someone that I can collaborate with and vice versa that, you know, has his foot in. And then, like, it was easier for me to transition and get my foot in as well just because of that. And, you know, we've maintained that relationship through, like, most of our lives. And there's things that, you know, there's countless things he's taught me and, you know, vice versa. I feel like we've learned so much from each other and I think it'll just continue on. 
Yeah, that's really cool. And it's funny that you're like all your parents kind of, I guess, contributed to this like product. Yeah. Um, and like, I think about this all the time because like, they see people are very artistic. Usually, like, I don't know, this is weird, and I don't know if you agree, but like every person I know that like went to school in India can like draw or something. Like, yeah, it's like weird. Everyone can like sketch something really well, and like. Just like as an example, but like India is like this place of like a lot of art and music and culture. Um, but then like when people move here, that kind of changes, I guess, maybe because of like you want to grow in this country. You want your kids to like be successful, blah, blah, blah. I feel like in that like diaspora community, some of that art gets lost um, because of the other like pressures surrounding people. So it's interesting that you grew up with a lot of art around you and unusual i think and I, I even with the diaspora thing i think most uh people you know that have come here you know like the the parents generation most of them came like in the 80s or 90s so for them they didn't really have the privilege of trying to you know pursue something else because for them it was survival mm -hmm. you know they left their home country um, to survive in a place where, you know, they have to start all over. So they kind of built this foundation for us to be able to take risks because if, without that, we, we would be doing the same exact thing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I feel like it depends on the family. Some people are still like as strict, you know, like some families are like, you know, we we built this foundation for you. Now you go get your doctor degree. You know, mm -hmm. we put in time as like a truck driver. We did hours in the liquor store so now that you can be this you know be the shine of our family by having this very high position and some kids want that and some kids don't but you know luckily we were in a position where our parents let us take that risk yeah yeah I agree and I was actually surprised like in my own life that my parents were so like okay with me becoming a journalist like mm -hmm. they never cared ever they were like okay sure I guess mm -hmm. maybe like are you sure once or twice but yeah, it's actually surprising. The uh, Like, you would expect most parents to not be okay with it. But actually, with the people I've been talking to, a lot of them say that their parents have come around quite easily. I feel like the 2010 generation of parents are a little more understanding than, like, the 90s to the 2000s. Mm -hmm. um, but I can't even relate because my parents are not like that. <laughs> yeah. But from like what I've seen amongst my friends and mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So you kind of got into the public eye through YouTube. Can you talk a little bit about the influence of the internet and social media on your success and on your career? It's been interesting just because I feel like I've like, because technology is moving so fast, I've hit like different waves of social media in many different like formats like in the beginning youtube and facebook were really big for me like 2011 and that's when everyone was on facebook and people and that was before youtube kind of went down like the algorithmic way and kind of suppressed a lot of people with like lower subscriber views mm -hmm. um same thing with facebook before that facebook was not you know set on algorithms so it was just if you liked a page everything that page would post would pop up. So I kind of came to this time where I think I was one of the very few people that was doing instrumental art. Like we started to get rappers, we started to get some singers, 
I feel like I was one of the first like Punjabi kids that started doing instrumental arts. And because I was at a time where Facebook was kind of like the Wild Wild West and YouTube was the Wild Wild West, it kind of it kind of like that initial bump was great. It kind of really boosted things overall. And then it was interesting. There was like then Facebook started does all this algorithmic stuff same thing with youtube and like i saw my numbers not do as well as they did before um and then instagram kind of came up and so like i started focusing a lot of my energy on instagram and i feel like even till this day i try to learn you know the trends are always changing within social media so how can you keep your audience interested what can you do to keep them interested what are different things that each social media platform you know what's the age group of that and what kind of art do they like to do? Mm-hmm. So now I kind of do it in a way. Facebook, for my Facebook audience, is a much older audience. It's like 40 and above. So I try to do more classical art because I feel like they like that a lot more. Mm-hmm. Instagram, I pretty much everything that I like put out, I put it on Instagram just because I feel like that's very, that's like the fan base that reacts the strongest. And then, and then YouTube, I just keep on putting videos on YouTube just because that's the best way, place to put your uh, videos. Other than that, I'm still looking into like new ways to do things. Um, I know TikTok has become like the biggest thing ever. Yeah. I don't know how to use it, but <laughs> it's like it's like bigger than Snapchat. I think it almost it's like about to surpass Twitter or something. I don't know. I like yeah. I know it's bigger than Snapchat, but that's a huge thing. If you're mm-hmm. bigger than Snapchat, you're pretty big. Yeah. And so. I might find my way on there pretty soon. I don't know how, but let's figure it out. Do you have TikTok? I have one. I just never made a video or anything. Do you like watch stuff on it though? I don't watch stuff on it, but like I'll see videos on it from like Instagram yeah, or yeah, something, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, but I, in the beginning I was very weary, but now I'm like becoming more open to it. So yeah. maybe that's like the next thing I'll take, the next step. It's funny because like if you ask anyone in this newsroom, they'll all like react funny to TikTok because like, for class, I was forced to download it this semester because it's becoming like a big thing. And we're all like, oh, that's so dumb. Like TikTok is dumb. Like it's for 13 year olds, like whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then I downloaded it and I started like watching a little to like learn about it. And now I'm like obsessed with TikTok. Um, you can't take it for granted. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. It's like it's such a especially as artists, you can't take any platform for granted, even if it looks stupid. There's a reason why there's so many people on there. Mm-hmm. And like, I thought it was stupid at first, but there's everyone's on it now. <laughs> yeah, literally everyone's on it. It's hilarious. Um, But yeah, that would be so cool if your like stuff was on TikTok. Yeah, I want to do it the right way, though. I don't want to just like wing it and be like, all right, no, follow yeah. me on TikTok, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Steady, steady yeah. it and stuff. Yeah, makes sense. I think your social media is like pretty calculated, I guess, like in terms of like, your Instagram is like a very specific vibe and like it's kind of subtle but like very artsy and cool. How much time do you like spend thinking about it and like how much time did you spend learning about it before you like created that? As far as Instagram goes like I kind of learned while I was doing it mm-hmm. and even like when I do it like I try to I try to make my Instagram profile as like as close to how I am as like a real person so I like I don't like like I don't like doing like the daily vlogging stuff where I'm like have the camera on my face hey guys like this is what I'm up to right now like that's not me mm-hmm. and I don't do that in real life as well so 
usually what I do is like if I find something funny once in a while, I'll post it on there. But other than that, like it's mostly like just music, strictly music based because that's what my life is surrounded by. I mm-hmm. mostly only work on music. I don't really have a social life outside of music because I'm always working on music. So I try to just make it as true to who I am. So I post music, you know, I reply to people. I stay social on it. Like I'll have conversations with people, you know, have conversations with fans. Um, and that's how I find it. Like that's how I use it personally. And I don't get try to get too much into like the whole social media aspect of it. And that keeps me sane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it kind of can get to be a lot. Mm-hmm. I was actually thinking that the other day. I was like so tired of like, what, like my phone was just like disgusting. Like I was just like really annoyed by it and like it happens. But it's also like you need it as an artist to do like to get be recognized by people. Yeah. yeah. And I try to use it as a platform for my art rather than as a platform for my life mm-hmm. because I feel like as great as social media is, I think it has had a really negative effect on our society today on how we talk to each other, how we um, treat each other. There's people I've seen it here in L.A. how like people would treat me before they know they see my social media and how they treat me right after they see like my social media. It's like you shouldn't treat people differently based on their social media numbers. Mm-hmm. It's That's you should treat people on who they are. But it becomes very like when it when it becomes tied to life, I feel like it it's most of the time it's negative. And I think that's why nowadays we see a lot of, you know, people unplugging for like a couple of months to actually just stay in touch with reality and what's happening around you. Because as far as social media goes, most people only post their highlights of their life and it kind of drives people, you know, they start comparing each other. This person's life is like this. This person's life is like this. Why? am I like this? Mm-hmm. You know, that that's probably the most common problem with social media. Um, so I try to like not give off that vibe for my page. That's like something I try actively try not to do. I don't want people to listen to me and like think of anything negative mm-hmm. because I'm not trying to spread that kind of message through my music. Yeah, that's really, that's a refreshing take, I guess. On It's like, Especially, like, in L.A., like mm-hmm. you said, like, it's crazy. Like, you can drive down the street and see, like, eight people with a camera in front of, like, a wall that's cool. Or, like, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um. Okay, cool. So, I have one more question. The name of my podcast is Bardesi. Mm-hmm. And the reason I picked that is because I think a lot of times the word Bardesi is negatively connotated, like, oh, like, you're Bardesi, like, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And so, I wanted to claim ownership of that word and... Anyone who is doing something unusual or unique, separating from the status quo, um, pursuing their passion is birthday see to me. And so that's what like the hope is. And like those are I'm interviewing a bunch of birthday sees, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so what would you say makes you birthday see in that with that definition in mind? What makes me birthday see? I would say I am someone who steps out of, you know, steps into a world that doesn't look into what people think um and that's very hard just you know not listening to what people think not caring about what society has to say and you know like Pradesi back in India is just like people that leave India and for me I I kind of I look at it as a way as I leave the norms of society to pursue something that makes me truly happy 
and something that exists not for just my own happiness but something that i can use to um inspire others something i can use to create a greater conversation about music mm -hmm. um something to contribute to the art of music and so it's something you know i'm pradesi in a sense where i want to be part of a greater conversation and not care about the little things of the world but add to what add to like this legacy of music that has existed in our musical civilization uh yeah Cool, amazing, awesome. Thank you. And thank you to all our listeners. As usual, follow Pardesi Podcast on Instagram for more updates and more content.